Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you all doing? Alhamdulillah. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihi al-kareem. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Allahumma hdi qalbi wa saddid lisani wa sallu tzakhimata qalbi. Amin ya rabbil alameen. Alright, let's begin. Kitab al-Zakat, bab number 17. Bab al-Sadaqati bil-Yameen. As-sadaqa bil-yameen Giving sadaqa with the right hand Right and not the left What does this mean? That when you are putting the money for example How should you put the money? With which hand? Right hand When you're giving it into the hand of the beggar Again, use the right hand There is benefit in that Why? Because you are closely following The words of the Prophet ﷺ when he mentioned giving sadaqah, he mentioned giving it with the right hand. It's not haram to give with the left, but when you give it with the right hand consciously, you get added reward. And remember that the Prophet ﷺ, he loved at tayammun. Tayammun is to use the right hand for doing good things, or to begin with the right. That was the, the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Even when he combed his hair, he would begin with the right side. So it's a small sunnah. Even when you're brushing your hair or straightening your hair or whatever, even when you're doing your makeup, begin with which side? The right side. Put your eyeliner on the right eye first. Tayam, really, it's tayammun. Right shoe first exactly, sleeping on the right. So even when it comes to giving sadaqah, give sadaqah with the right hand. حَدَّثَنَا مُسَدَّدٌ حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَىٰ عَنْ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي خُبَيْبُ بْنُ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانِ عَنْ حَبْسِ بْنِ عَاصِمٍ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, قَالَ He said, سَبْعَةٌ يُظِلُّهُمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى فِي ظِلِّهِ يَوْمَ لَا ظِلَّ إِلَّا ظِلُّهُ سَبْعَةٌ There are seven that يُظِلُّهُمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى Allah the Exalted will provide shade to. Where فِي ظِلِّهِ In His shade. When يَوْمَ لَا ظِلَّ إِلَّا ظِلُّهُ on the day when there will be no shade except his. Who are those seven people? Imamun Adlun, a just ruler. Secondly, Washabun Nasha'a fi ibadatillah, a youth who grows up in worship of Allah. Meaning, from his youth, from the very beginning of his life, he has been worshipping Allah. We feel bad for such people. Subhanallah. وَرَجُلٌ قَلْبُهُ مُعَلَّقٌ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ And a man whose heart is attached to the masajid. Not just one masjid, but masajid. So this means wherever he goes, his heart is attached to the masjid. وَرَجُلَانِ تَحَابَّا فِي اللَّهِ And two men, two people who love each other for the sake of Allah. اِجْتَمَعَ عَلَيْهِ وَتَفَرَّقَ عَلَيْهِ they come together because of that love and then they go away from each other because of that love. What happens many times is people say, I love you for the sake of Allah, but then intention changes. No, اجتمعَ عَلَيْهِ وَتَفَرَّقَ عَلَيْهِ وَرَجُلٌ And a man, دَعَتْهُمْ رَأَةٌ Whom a woman invites. Which woman? ذَاتُ منصب, A woman of mansib, meaning of status. وَجَمَالٍ And also beauty. فَقَالَ إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهِ And he says, I fear Allah. وَرَجُلٌ And a man تَصَدَّقَ بِصَدَقَةٍ 
who gives sadaqa, how? فَأَخْفَاهَا So he conceals it. Meaning he gives it with utmost secrecy, so much that حَتَّى لَا تَعْلَمَ شِمَالُهُ مَا تُنْفِقُ يَمِينُهُ His left hand or his left side does not know what his right hand spent. وَرَجُلٌ ذَكَرَ اللَّهَ خَالِيًا and a man who remembers Allah when alone فَفَاضَتْ عَيْنَاهُ And his eyes overflow with tears. Why is Imam Bukhari bringing this hadith? Over here? How is it relevant? Exactly. وَرَجُلٌ تَصَدَّقَ بِصَدَقَةٍ فَأَخْفَاهَا حَتَّى لَا تَعْلَمَ شِمَالُهُ مَا تُنْفِقُ يَمِينُهُ Now this hadith is too beautiful to just move on from, so I have to go a little bit in its detail. First of all, we see in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ mentions seven types of people who will be given shade on the Day of Judgment by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember that this is not limited to these seven types of people only. There are other ahadith that mention other people who will be in this shade. But here, the Prophet ﷺ chose to mention only seven. So for example, in another hadith, we learn that Whoever loves that Allah should provide him with his shade should give respite to the one in difficulty or should remove the burden from him. Meaning if you want shade on the day of judgment, then what should you do? Give more time to the person who is in difficulty. Which person? The one who's borrowed something from you is supposed to return it to you. Right? But he's in difficulty. He's not able to return it. So you say, okay, next week, next month. So basically when you show lenience to people in terms of debt or in terms of obligations also. Sometimes people have to give you an assignment. But it's Ramadan and they have work and they have exams. So you say, okay, we give you one more week. Because you're in difficulty. Or remove the burden from him. Completely forgive it. Both options are there. Either is good. So anyway, in this hadith, this is reported in Musnad Ahmad, we see that even this person will be given this shade. In another hadith we learn that Az-Zahrawain will come in the form of two shades for those who read them. And what are the Zahrawain? Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran. Right? So those who recite these two surahs, these two surahs will shade them on the Day of Judgment. So remember that first of all, it's not just these seven only. There are other actions also that will bring about this shade on the Day of Judgment. Now what exactly is this shade? The Hadith says, Allah will give him shade in his shade right on the day when there is no shade except his what does it mean by his shade what is meant by his shade this is mudaf mudaf ilayh there's idafa over here for those of you who are familiar and remember that idafa doesn't always prove creation it doesn't always mean that one is part of the other for example Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I وَنَفَقْتُ فِيهِمِ الرُّوحِ I blew into him my ruh. What is meant by my ruh is not the ruh. That is Allah's. I mean, you can't claim that. What is meant by ruhi is ruh that Allah owns, that Allah has created. It's only in His possession. We learn about naqatullah, the she-camel of Allah. Why? Why is it called she-camel of Allah? Because it was sent by Allah as a miracle. Right? So, ظِلِّهِ means his shade as in the shade that he will create for them on that day. Alright? It doesn't mean the shade of his being. It doesn't mean the shade of his being. 
It means the shade that He will create for them on that day. And no other shade, there is no other shade on that day, meaning there is no other shade except the shade that Allah will give on that day. Because there will be no mountains, no buildings, no umbrellas, nothing that people can take to shield themselves from the sun. And remember that the sun will be very near on the Day of Judgment. So much so that some people will be drowning in their own sweat. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide shade to certain servants under the special shade that He will create for them. For example, in some ahadith we learn under His arsh. So some people will be under the throne of Allah. Ameen. So that shade will, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them that shade by bringing them under His throne. What honor? In another hadith we learn that a person will be under the shade of his sadaqah on the day of judgment. Right? Under the shade of his sadaqah. So how will that sadaqah give shade to a person on that day? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create shade for him with his sadaqah. Alright? So this is the meaning of the hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give shade to a person fi ghilihi. Now, the seven types that are mentioned over here, what do we see? We see certain common points between all of these seven people. First of all, we see that there is taqwa. There is a fear of Allah. If a leader is just, why is he being just? Because of the fear of Allah. If a man is refusing the invitation of a beautiful woman of status, then why is he refusing? Out of the fear of Allah. If a person is giving sadaqah with utmost secrecy, why is he doing that? With the fear of Allah. If a person is constantly thinking about the masjid, why? Because of the fear of Allah. So there is fear of Allah. Then we see that they all go against hawa, against desire. When you have power, it's very easy to abuse that power. Power, it affects the brain, the, the psychology of people. There are studies that, I'm not making that up, I, I read this recently, that power changes the way you think, which is why so many people, I remember a, a lady telling me, I don't know what happens to us. The moment we become mother-in-laws, we change. She was admitting. She was admitting that, you know, I used to think that I will never be like this, but I don't know what's wrong with me. So it happens. So many, you know, people, they're so good with children, but then when they have their own children, they feel like they can boss them around and they can do whatever. It changes people, right? So your hawa, your desire, uh, pushes you to abuse your power, to enjoy that power, but when you are still just and fair, then what are you doing? You are going against Hawa. And the third thing is that in each of these qualities that are mentioned, each of these people that are mentioned, they are all seeking the reward of Allah. When you are being just, you want reward from Allah. right? When you're going to the masjid, you want reward from Allah. When you're giving sadaqah with utmost secrecy, you want reward from Allah. So these are three common points between all of these qualities. Now the first one, Imamun Adil, the just ruler. Remember that Imam, Imam of a people is basically the the head, meaning the one who's not answerable to anyone else. Okay, like for example the Khalifa. Amir is also a leader, but Amir is answerable to the Imam. Who is the Imam answerable to? Allah, but amongst the people? No one. Now, the thing is that sometimes we are also in situations where we have complete authority over something. Especially where you're dealing, for example, with your children. Little children. 
they don't know they can complain about you they don't know they can tell on you but being just and fair in those situations it's only possible to do that with the fear of Allah going against one's hawa and seeking the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the second one that's mentioned is a youth who grows up in the worship of Allah nasha'a nasha'a meaning from the time of childhood from the very beginning growing up in the worship of Allah when we look at such children we feel that they are deprived or if we are such individuals who have been taught the Quran from the very beginning so for example you were taught to recite the Quran before you were taught to read English for example if you are of those fortunate people you knew about the translation of the Quran before you went to university for example or you always went to Islamic school you never heard music you never knew about these movies and things like that right many such people you know they develop FOMO like this fear of missing out or they have this you know self-pity that oh poor me I'm so unfortunate whereas such a person is so fortunate because what you do from the very beginning of your life becomes easy for you it becomes a habit you know one is a child for example who goes to the masjid every day or learns Quran you know from the very beginning for him reciting the Quran is so easy and then there is another person who is struggling to learn the Quran in their teens right or after that is there a difference there is a difference some boys you know they have their beard is such that it's never been trimmed or shaved right and other boys they shave 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 and eventually decide okay let me grow a beard and they play around with it and finally they actually have something on their face that looks like a beard right so now one has never trimmed or shaved his beard isn't there a difference there is a difference so you know this develops certain life habits that continue and then the thing is that when you grow up with the worship of Allah, you have this hesitation to sin. You know, this hesitation to leave worship. So this is actually something very good and such people are very fortunate and it is our responsibility as parents to ensure that inshallah our children get this kind of upbringing. Inshallah. The third is the one whose heart is attached to the masjid. Qalbun muallaq meaning the one who performs one prayer at the masjid and is looking forward to the next. And also muallaq attached, he can do in the masjid what the masjid is made for. What is the masjid made for? Worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is it made for? Who is the masjid for? Who is it for? Anyone who wants to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, you know, in certain times, for example, when there is irtikaf going on, Right? In Ramadan. Okay, there are people who are doing irtikaf, they're using the masjid. But does this mean that only the people who are doing irtikaf have a right over the masjid? No. Everyone has a right over the masjid. Sometimes women come with young children. Do they not have a right over the masjid? They have a right over the masjid. What about the children who come to the masjid? Do they have a right over the masjid? They do. Everyone has a right over the masjid. We do not have the right to turn anyone out of the masjid out of fear that the masjid will become noisy or the masjid will become crowded or that these children will make noise or that the food will become less. No. I mean, especially in Ramadan, we should have this yaqeen that there will be barakah in the food, inshallah. Yesterday, someone came to me and they were crying and they informed me 
that they were turned out of a masjid at the time of iftar. Because they were told that the food was only for the people doing irtikaf. This person took time out to come to the masjid to pray there, to worship Allah there. It's Ramadan. They wanted to spend time in the masjid because we all know at home there's distraction. So no matter how much you go to a masjid and how much you consider a masjid to be your home, don't think it's your personal property and you have the right to turn others away. Or to give dirty looks to people, mothers, young children. This is not fair. Because then there will be fewer people whose hearts are attached to the masjid. There are children who dislike going to the masjid. There are mothers who dislike going to the masjid. There are people who dislike going to certain masajid. Why? Because they were pushed out of there. They were turned away from there. They were humiliated over there. So this is a way of preventing people from the way of Allah. We're not allowing people to have their hearts attached to the masjid. Many people have their hearts attached to the mall. So what does it mean? Every now and then they're going to the mall. We want that our hearts are attached to the masjid. And that's only possible if we feel welcome there. If we feel like we have a right over the masjid. Right? I mean, of course, you have a duty towards the masjid, ensuring that you don't you know, make it dirty, and ensuring that you don't damage the property, and ensuring that you don't make noise and things like that. But if somebody has come, and they don't know about the etiquette, instead of chasing them away, and yelling at them, humiliating them, you know, this is not right. Another problem is that when people are standing in the saf, and they're being yelled at, please join the road, join... The Poor woman has come for the third time to the masjid and you're pulling her or yelling at her. You know, sometimes I'm amazed. When I get yelled at in the masjid, I wonder how other people are treated. When people who know me yell at me, I wonder how others are treated. And I'm saying this to you because I don't want any of you doing this. It doesn't befit people who inhabit the masjid to turn people away from the masjid. Sometimes in Ramadan, at Jumu'ah time, for example, there's a lot of crowd... Be happy. Welcome people. Alhamdulillah. At the time of iftar, there's so many people. Alhamdulillah. Instead of thinking, oh my God, these people just keep coming, free food, they're coming. Alhamdulillah, there's barakah. There's something in the masjid that's pulling people into the masjid. So be glad, be happy about that. Sometimes we yell at people, move forward, move forward. At Jumar, the other day, I got yelled at to move forward. And really, there was no space in front of me where I could go. The lady didn't even see if there was space, and she started yelling. So we have to be very careful. Don't ever do this, pushing people, pulling people, that in your salah, your focus is to make sure everybody is standing properly and not your salah. That as soon as you say, As-salamu alaykum wa you get up and you scan people, oh, where is the problem in the room? Seriously. This is offensive. It's damaging. This is also very important That sometimes a new person comes Maybe from a different ethnicity Someone whom you haven't seen in your masjid Because usually people from the same ethnicity Mostly populate one masjid It's very natural for people to do that Or if there's a completely new person coming into the masjid Welcome them right? Talk to them, ask them how they're doing Instead of just Talking to the people that you know So anyway The one whose heart is attached to the masjid Such a person Will be under the shade of Allah and under the shade that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide him on the day of judgment. Imagine if we are a means over here that we help someone, that we help someone have such a good time in the masjid that their heart gets attached to the masjid. They want to come back again and again. 
And you know, mashallah, some masjid uncles, and I say masjid uncles because masjid uncles are better than masjid aunties. Masjid uncles are so good, wallah. You know, whenever my kids come to the masjid, they actually go with my husband, even my daughter. Right? They pray in the men's side. And there's a reason. Because in the men's side, they're welcomed. And my husband was telling me the other day, last Ramadan, my daughter, she came into the masjid with her hijab and abaya. And the salah started, and by the end of the salah, no hijab, no abaya. Alright? And uh, even the hair tie was gone. And she was climbing on top of my husband, right? As he was going into sajda. And my husband was so scared, you know, I'm going to say the salam, this uncle's going to yell at me. And no, that uncle was so nice, he looked at my daughter and, you know, said salam to her. And, you know, my husband said sorry. And he said, no, beta, you know, this is masjid, masjid is for everybody. He said such encouraging words that this is the reason why kids love going to the masjid. But the men's side, not the women's side. I feel that if a child is such that the child can pray with the mother or the child can sit quietly on the side, then the child should be allowed to sit there next to the mother so that the mother can pray in peace and the child can also watch the mother pray. But if a child is put with 50 other children who are screaming and making noise, then how, how are those children ever going to learn? They're going to think masjid is a place of running around and screaming and not a place of prayer. And this is what we see. Many kids, they begin with the mother's room then as they grow older, they're promoted to basketball court, right? They go outside. They never develop the habit of praying. And the fault is ours. Because we have told them from the beginning, you're not welcome where the adults are. This is our fault. You bring them from childhood, they learn to behave in the masjid. I mean, yes, there should be a place dedicated for you know, children who want to play because... Some children don't have the capacity to pray the entire salah. So they should be given that, that place. But mothers should not be forced to go there. It should be an option. It should be a concession, an allowance, not a rule. It should not be forced. It's so hurtful. And it's so difficult for mothers that, you know, sometimes they're not able to pray in the masjid. So, qalbun mu'allaq. So be a means, you know, a source of connecting people to the masjid not a source of cutting people off from the masjid. The next is two people who love one another, kahabba, they love each other for the sake of Allah, meaning there's no other connection that would create love between them. They're not related by blood, all right? It's not that they're business partners. It's not that they were friends from childhood or that they're neighbors. No, they got together because of the deen, all right? And they remained together because of the deen. That's what brought them together and that is what they're separated upon. The next is the man who refuses the offer of a noble woman. This is, remember, this is not a prostitute, a woman with status. And refusing someone of honor is, and beauty, especially for a man, it's very difficult. There's pressure, he could be perceived as someone very rude, and he could also, you know, think that maybe this will be hidden. Nobody will find out. But if he refuses out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there's shade for him on the day of judgment. Who does it remind you of? Yusuf alayhi salam. In fact, if you think about it, many of these qualities remind us of Yusuf alayhi salam. Even as a, as a ruler, meaning whatever uh, responsibility he was given, he was very just. Then the one who gives charity with his right hand so that his left hand does not even know. And we discussed this earlier, that this is extreme secrecy. And also if you think about it, when you give with the right such that the left doesn't know, it means it never came into the left. 
right? Never came into the left. Because sometimes what happens is you take the money out and you're thinking, holding it with your hand, debating, should I, should I not? So there's also swiftness over here and there's secrecy. And then a person who remembers Allah when alone and their eyes fill with tears. Khaliyan meaning khaliyan min nas You know, sometimes when we are praying in a congregation and the imam is crying and everybody else around us is crying, we also start crying. But this is the one who remembers Allah when alone. Nobody else is there. Why would a person cry? Out of fear, out of love, out of hope, out of desperation. So all of these characteristics, remember they're a result of ikhlas and they will Insha'Allah bring a person's shade on the Day of Judgment. Allahumma ja'alna minhum. Haddathana Ali ibn al-Ja'ad akhbarana shu'batu qala akhbarani Ma'amad ibn Khalidin qala sami'atu Haritha ibn Wahbin al-Khaza'iyya radiyallahu anhu yaqulu sami'atu al-Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yaqul the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said tasaddaqu fasayati alaykum zamanun give sadaqa because there will come upon you a time yamshi al-rajulu bi sadaqatihi when a man will walk with a sadaqa fayaqulu al-rajul then a person will say to him, لَوْ جِئْتَ بِهَا بِالْأَمْسِ لَقَبِلْتُهَا مِنْكَ If you had come with this yesterday, I would have accepted it from you. فَأَمَّ الْيَوْمَ فَلَا حَاجَةَ فِيهَا As for today, then I have no need for it. Remember that part of giving with the right, with secrecy, is also swiftness. And this is what we learned in this hadith, do not delay giving sadaqah. Because if you hesitate, it might be too late. If you delay, it might be too late. You might not find someone to give sadaqah to. You know, for example, you have the money in your hand and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to put it in the box. And you're like, okay, not sure, maybe the next one. Right? There's more boxes here. I'll give it, I'll put it in the one that's by the door. And when you reach there, there's no box over there. So, not delaying sadaqah. Bab man amara khadimahu bisadaqati walam yunawil binafsihi. The one who amara khadimahu, the one who instructs his servant, bisadaqa to give sadaqa, walam yunawil binafsihi, and he does not give it himself, he does not distribute it himself. Meaning, one is that you give sadaqa yourself, but the other is that you have people working for you. And the people that are working for you, you instruct them, that make sure you give sadaqa from this. So is this permissible? Yes, it is permissible. Imam Bukhari brings a mu'allaq over here. وَقَالَ أَبُوْ مُوسَىٰ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ هُوَ أَحَدُ الْمُتَصَدِّقِينَ That he is one of those who give sadaqah. That even though he's not actually giving the sadaqah, but because the sadaqah is being given at his instruction from his money, then he will be rewarded for that sadaqah. حدثنا عثمان بن أبي شيبة حدثنا جرير عن منصور عن شقيق عن مسروق عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عائشة رضي الله عنها reported the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said إذا أنفقت المرأة when a woman spends من طعام بيتها from the food of her house that is غير مفسدة that is not spoiled كان لها أجرها she will have its reward بما أنفقت According to what she gave, وَلِزَوْجِهَا أَجْرُهُ بِمَا And for her husband is also reward. Why? Because he earned that. وَلِلْخَازِنِ مِثْلُ ذَلِكَ And for the custodian is the same. لَا يَنْقُصُ بَعْضُهُمْ أَجْرَ بَعْضٍ شَيْئًا The reward of one in no way diminishes that of the others. This is of the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do we see over here? That basically three people are mentioned over here. One, a woman, the other, husband, and third, khazin. 
Who's the Khazin? Custodian meaning someone who's been made responsible over a certain property to manage it, to take care of it, etc. And the example that's given over here is that when a woman gives of the food which is in her house, but the food is not spoiled. This is important. It's good food. It's not spoiled. Now technically that food came from whose money? In her situation, it came from the husband's money. So before she gives that food away, should she have his permission and approval? Technically, yes. But if she's asking him all the time, can I give this sandwich? Can I give this food? Can I give this bag of chips? He'll be like, stop asking me. Just give it. Right? As long as it's in, you know, in amount that is agreed upon, that's reasonable. Not that a woman says, you know what? I'm going to sponsor an iftar today at the masjid. Right? And she gives a check and the husband's like, what happened to my bank account? Right? No, this is reasonable amount. So there's no harm in that. And when she will give that food, she will get reward for giving sadaqah. And then in addition to that, he will also get the reward. Even though he has no idea that the wife gave you know, some food in the food bank, for example. He has no idea. But he's getting the reward. right? Because she's spending from his money with his understanding and approval. Even though he didn't sign that, he didn't give explicit approval or permission for that, it's understood. And in this is so much encouragement that especially when there's food in your house, you know, for example, when there's non-perishable food, sometimes those cans are sitting, those boxes of pasta are sitting. So taking one box, taking one can, something or the other, every now and then giving that a sadaqah, you get reward and your husband gets reward. Reward is multiplied. And then the khazin, the custodian. So for example, someone is hired to guard, for instance, a property. And on that property are some fruit trees. Let's say an apple tree. It's not an apple farm. It's not an apple orchard, but there is an apple tree. Now what happens? This custodian or this guard has the approval of the owners that he can eat from that apple tree. It's understood. So he eats from that, uh, he eats those apples and then he also gives some of them in charity. So he will get the reward. That custodian will get the reward and the owner will get the reward. This is the great favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where the rewards are multiplied and there is encouragement in this for us also. Anything you'd like to add? As long as it's a reasonable amount and you know that he's not going to have a problem with it. So for example, you have the permission, it's understood that if you spend, let's say, $100 a week, for instance, on groceries, no problem. Your husband's completely cool with that. Okay? For instance. Now what happens... You buy some groceries and then you have $20 change and then somebody asks for a donation and you give that. Is your husband going to mind that you gave $20 donation? Most likely he won't and you know that. Right? So there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? It's good that you should inform him because some people are more generous than others. So maybe you are more generous than your husband is and he might not like that every day you're giving $50, $50. So it's good to keep him informed. It's always good to communicate and to inform each other. You know, yesterday a lady told me that her husband told her that every day give $50 to the masjid that they're praying. The husband said that to the wife. So this is good. And sometimes the husband and wife can also encourage each other. So for example, the husband is going to the masjid, the wife can say, make sure you give sadaqah today. The husband says, oh, I forgot my wallet. Can you please give sadaqah online? You know, so this can be done. So for example... The wife is not working, she's not earning any money, but the husband is. And now the husband wants to give some sadaqah, some donation. If he gives it 
you know, from his own money, it's his decision, it's his money, he will get the reward, right? Because the wife doesn't have a share in that. However, if for example, it's understood that whatever money he's earning, right, is shared by both of them, in the sense that anything they do with that money is a mutual decision. Some men are like that, and it's good to be like that, because many women... You know, when they come into a marriage, they don't come empty-handed. They do bring some money in, or they work for a period and then they take some leave. So it's good to decide these things mutually. So, for example, the husband says, "What do you think about giving this much money for this cause?" Right? Because that, if it's especially when it's a big donation, it's going to affect the family. Right? It might mean that they may not be able to go on their summer trip, for example. Or that there, you know, some purchase will have to be delayed. So he discusses with her, and she agrees. Then does she have a share in that? Yes, she does. You understand? This is similar to your money. Now your personal money, a woman's personal money. Can she give sadaqah from it, however she pleases? Yes. Will the husband get the reward for that? Not necessarily, because it's not his money. But if let's say that money she has kept so that. They will use it for their child's education, for instance. Right. So she consults her husband. What do you think? Can I give something of this for this donation? And he's like, Yeah, I think it's a good idea. So remember, adalu ilal khairi kafa'ilihi. The one who guides to something good is like its doer. So when you help someone do something good, whether even if it's helping someone make a good decision, then you get a share out of that. Whoever makes a good intercession, then he will have a share of it. Right? Yes. Go ahead. One look, one word can either welcome a person into a masjid or completely turn them away. So remember that don't be someone who turns people away from the masjid. And if you see that happening, that someone is saying something offensive or someone is doing something offensive, that will turn people away from the masjid, then that is a munkar that you must stop. You have the duty to stop that. So for example, you see someone being rude with people in the masjid, go and stop that individual, no matter who they are. Everybody needs reminders. Amr bil ma'roof wa nahin al-munkar. This is your duty. Don't be passive over there, that oh, it's not my department. Right? Yes. Go ahead. No, you can move. If you're praying and your child is crying, you can move, you can pick up your child, you can bring a toy out of your bag and give that to your child. Right? It's permissible. This movement in salah is permissible because this movement is for the sake of praying properly. Your duty is to remind and it's up to people to accept or reject. You can't force them to accept your advice. But uh, just say it in the nicest way possible so that uh, they don't get offended. Yes. She shared this beautiful example that her husband works, she doesn't work. But she teaches Qur'an and her husband supports her in that. And she gives sadaqah from the money that she gets, but it's not that big amount that her husband can give. So her husband said to her that whenever he gives a big donation, then he makes the intention that it's on behalf of himself and her, his wife. Right, so you can also share that with your father and your husband, and you know, so that next time they give a big donation, inshallah, you're counted in that also, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Assalamu alaikum.